Here it is. From deep inside your audio device of choice. Ladies and gentlemen, a new department, a new feature here on the program. What took me so long? Foot entirely in mouth. We're going to spotlight somebody who uh, found themselves in that bodily configuration. I think it'll happen every week, judging by recent evidence. And at any rate, here's the first one. Republican Dateline, uh, Salt Lake City. Republican lawmakers and Utah politicians celebrated the Supreme Court's Roe versus Wade decision. One le- legislator, this according to the Salt Lake Tribune, they wouldn't lie. One legislator said she trusted Utah women, quote, to control their intake of semen, unquote. And she didn't mean, you know, longshoremen. Representative Carrion Lizenby described a text message she said she received urging her to hold men accountable for unwanted pregnancies. Quote, I got a text message today saying I should seek to control men's ejaculations and not women's pregnancies. I do trust women enough to control when they allow a man to ejaculate inside of them and to control that intake of semen, unquote, the Republican at the Utah Capitol. They talk like that at the Utah Capitol, ladies and gentlemen. Lisenby clarified her comments in a text message to the Salt Lake Tribune a few days later. She said her remarks at the press conference did not accurately reflect what she intended to say. Quote, women do not have a choice when they're raped and have protections under Utah's trigger law. My first statement in the press conference made clear the actions I've taken to pass bills to provide legal protection and recourse to victims of sexual assault. The political and social divide in America seems to be expanding at an ever expanding at an ever faster pace. I'm committed to ongoing respectful and civil engagement. I can always do better and will continue to try, she said. But let's just review what she said. I trust women enough to control when they allow a man to ejaculate inside of them and to control that intake. Of semen, unquote, reminiscent of a statement in twenty back in twenty way back in twenty twelve by a legislator in another state. I don't have his name at hand. Right there's the hand sound effect. Um, who said that women don't get pregnant if they're legitimately raped? The foot entirely in mouth, ladies and gentlemen, for this week. Hello, welcome to the show.
I can see it from here. And it's not Alaska or Russia. From Santa Monica, the home of the homeless, I'm Harry Shearer welcoming you to this edition of the show. Now, ladies and gentlemen, news of the warm, won't you? I think I already did. I'll do it again. Soft, listen to the warm. We can listen. Scientists have uncovered, I think they've discovered, more than 900 never-before-seen species of microbes living inside glaciers on the Tibetan Plateau. That's where I'd look for them. Analysis of the microbes' genomes, according to Live Science, revealed that some have the potential to spawn new pandemics. In case you're wondering where the new pandemics are coming from, if, if rapid melting caused by climate change releases them from their icy prisons. In a new study, researchers from the Chinese Academy of Sciences, all right then, took ice samples from 21 glaciers on the Tibetan Plateau. They own it. I guess they can do that. It's a high-altitude region in Asia, wedged between the Himalayan mountain range to the south, and, any guesses? The Taklamakan Desert to the north. Who knew, department? The team then sequenced the DNA of the microscopic orga organisms locked inside the ice. They created thereby a massive database of microbe genomes. It's the first time a microbial community hidden within a glacier has been genetically sequenced. I bet it didn't hurt. The team found 968 microbial species frozen within the ice, mostly bacteria, but also algae, archaea, and fungi. That's reported in the journal Nature Biotechno Biotechnology. But perhaps more surprisingly, around 98% of those species were completely new to science. They were known to music, but not to science. The level of microbial diversity was unexpected because of the challenges associated with living inside glaciers. You can imagine. How do you get mail? Quote, despite extreme environmental conditions such as low temperatures, high levels of solar radiation, periodic freeze-thaw cycles, and nutrient limitation, the surfaces of glaciers support a diverse array of life, according to the study's authors. Researchers aren't sure exactly how old some of these microbes are. It's not polite to ask. Prior studies have shown it's possible to revive microbes that have been trapped in ice for up to 10,000 years. Welcome back! It's not the first time scientists have found, found a surprising abundance of microbes living in Tibetan glaciers. A couple of years ago, a team that analyzed ice cores from a single glacier uncovered 33 different groups of viruses living within the ice, 28 of which had never been seen before. The surprising microbial diversity within glaciers coupled with an increase in melting glacial ice due to climate change boosts the chances, I bet you were wondering, that potentially dangerous microbes will escape and wreak havoc. Most likely they'd be bacteria. Quote, ice and trap pathogenic microbes could lead to local epidemics and even pandemics, said the researchers, if they're released into the environment. The microbes, not the researchers. 
Evidence suggests that some of the newfound bacteria could be very dangerous to humans and other organisms. Like we care about other organisms. The team identified 27,000 potential virulence factors, molecules that help bacteria invade and colonize potential hosts within the catalog from the glacier, from the place. The researchers warned that around 47% of these virulence factors have never before seen, so there's no way of knowing how harmful the bacteria could be. We've had science for this long, and we still have, even if these potentially pathogenic bacteria do not survive for long after escaping their glaciers, they can still cause problems, the researchers said. Bacteria have the unique ability to exchange large sections of their DNA, known as mobile genetic elements, MGEs, with other bacteria. And if the uh, politician from Utah is right, they have the ability to control how much they share. So even if the glacial bacteria die shortly after being thawed out, they can still pass on some of their virulence to other bacteria they encounter. This genetic interaction between glacier microbes and modern microorganisms could be particularly dangerous. That's what the authors of this study said. Boo! And, yeah, not just not just the warm. Viruses coming from somewhere else, too. Microplastics. Just one word. Microplastics. Dangerous viruses can remain infectious for up to three days in fresh water by hitchhiking on plastic, researchers now say. This from The Guardian. Enteric viruses that cause diarrhea and stomach upsets, such as rotavirus, were found to survive in water by attaching to microplastics. They remain infectious, according to University of Sterling researchers. No, that's not where the silver was discovered. They found this, posing a potential health risk. The uh, lead researcher said, quote, we find viruses can attach to microplastics and that allows them to survive in the water for three days, possibly longer, unquote. These uh, findings were part of a project funded by Britain's Natural Environment Research Council looking at how plastics transport bacteria and viruses, concluded that microplastics enabled pathogen transfer in the environment. Being infectious in the environment for three days, that's long enough to get from the wastewater treatment works to the public beach, said the lead researcher. Wastewater treatment plants were unable to capture microplastics, he said. Even if a wastewater treatment plant is doing everything it can to clean sewage waste, the water discharged still has microplastics in it, which are then transported down the river into the estuary and wind up on the beach. Talk about a dip in the ocean. Just one word. Microplastics. But enough about the dumb world. You know what Meta is, right? That's what used to be called Facebook before 
That name was so tainted by its company's behavior. Meta is going to shut down Novi. That was the social media company's digital wallet payments plan. This coming September, the 1st of September, all but ending the Libra stablecoin experiment. Three years after the company, then known as Facebook, unveiled its ambitious but ultimately doomed crypto payments gamble, according to Coindesk.com. Meta announced the news on their own website, texting users a link to the announcement that urged users to withdraw their money from the platform as soon as possible. (laughs) Yeah, or otherwise it could disappear just beginning July 21st. Users will lose the ability... I guess that makes them losers, to add money to their accounts. Novi's WhatsApp account and the Novi app will also become unavailable. Once the pilot ends, users will not have access to their transaction history and other data. What about their money? Their money, as Jimmy J.J. Walker says in that horrible, horrible commercial. Novi, originally known as Calibra, see, now you had been added had been made as wallet for its Libra stablecoin, later renamed DM. They were good at the naming. It was revealed back in June 2019. Why, that's three years ago. Come on, ancient history. Its role shifted as regulatory pressures forced the stablecoin project to change course. Stablecoin, as I understand it, ladies and gentlemen, and I don't claim to be a sucker, um, means a uh, a piece of um, digital currency that is uh, linked in some way to uh, something of proven value, like, let's say, the dollar. Remember those? Um, the project changed course. Novi became a money transfer pilot for crypto-based remittances, but it never got by- beyond the U.S. and Guatemala, I think in Guatemala, no, some country down there has made Bitcoin legal tender. Good luck. Buena suerte. Uh, Meta decided to kill the Novi pilot. The company said it has plans to repurpose the technology for future products that could find the gullible more easily. Quote, we're already leveraging the years spent on building capabilities for Meta overall on blockchain and introducing new products such as digital collectibles said Meta. Digital collectibles. Well, those would be NFTs, wouldn't they? You know, those things that you don't ever really own. You own a certificate saying you own the certificate. Good work there, Meta. Google is facing action from a coalition of 10 European consumer organizations over the company's account sign-up process. A Google account, since you're wondering, is essential in order to use a number of the company's products and services. I don't know. Yeah, I do. Of course, I do. I use uh, a couple of them. The Coalition of uh, European Consumer Organizations alleges the sign-up process steers users towards options that will allow Google to... Any guesses? Yes. In the back there. Collect more data. You're right. Google told the BBC it welcomed the opportunity to engage with consumer advocates on the topic. It's a different kind of welcoming. 
The company said the consumer trust depended on honesty and transparency, and it had, quote, staked our future success on building ever simpler, more accessible controls and giving people clearer choices. And just as important, they conclude in their statement, doing more with less data. Hi, I'm less data, and I'll be with you, unquote. The European Consumer Organization, which coordinates the coalition, claims the language that Google uses in the registration process is, quote, unclear, incomplete, and misleading. Well, that would about cover it. It leads many consumers to pick options that are less privacy-friendly. Well, maybe consumers don't like that damn privacy all that much. Would it? Did that ever... As a result, tens of millions of Europeans have been placed on a fast track to surveillance when they signed up for a Google account, says the coalition. I believe sign-up is the critical point at which Google asks users to choose how their account will operate, but the simplest one-step process, express personalization it's called, leaves consumers with account settings that feed Google's surveillance activities, according to the coalition. They say Google does not provide users with the option to turn off all settings with one click. All settings regarding them following you around and looking at your stuff. Instead, the coalition says it takes five clicks and ten steps to turn off the trackers that Google wants to activate on a new account relating to web and app activity, YouTube history, and personalized advertising on your account. Isn't that nice? They personalized it for you. The uh, European Union's General Data Protection Regulation, something we don't have here in the States, because it's Europe, requires platforms to give users privacy by design and by default. Google maintains all options are clearly labeled and designed to be clear and simple to understand. Just hard to activate. And speaking of Google... Google pledged this week to update its location history system so that visits to medical clinics and similarly sensitive places are automatically deleted. In the post-Row era, there's concern that cops, other law enforcement, will demand the web giant handover information about its users if they're suspected of breaking the law by seeking an abortion. This is from the British Tech Journal, The Register. Google keeps a log of its users' whereabouts with its location history function. Provides some controls to delete all the part of those records or switch it off. Now, seemingly in response to the concerns about law enforcement uh, getting a little enthusiastic in the wake of the erasure of Roe versus Wade, Google is going to auto-delete some entries. Quote, if our systems identify that someone has visited one of these places, we will delete these entries from location history soon after they visit. According to the senior vice president for such stuff, this change will take effect in the coming weeks. By these places, she means places including medical facilities like counseling centers, domestic violence shelters, abortion clinics, fertility centers, addiction treatment facilities, weight loss clinics, cosmetic surgery clinics, and others. Of course, now I'm sitting here wondering, what would the others be? And 
As for uh, how Google will handle requests for people's data, such as messages regarding abortion clinics, it says it will not roll over for law enforcement requests, as one might expect. Google has a long track record of pushing back on overly broad demands from law enforcement, including objecting to some demands entirely, said the Veep. We remain committed to protecting our users against improper government demands for data and will continue to oppose demands that are overly broad or otherwise legally objectionable. That would be, of course, in Google's opinion. And now, news of our friend the Atom. Well, where are we going to store that waste for hundreds of thousands of years? Where are we going to do, where are we going to do that safely? That question, reverberating down the decades of nuclear, uh, civilian nuclear power, raises its ugly head once again this week, according to World Nuclear News. A community pa- partnership has formed in, now I didn't make up this name, they did, Thettlethorpe in Lincolnshire in eastern England. Thettlethorpe, ladies and gentlemen. To consider whether the UK's geological disposal facility, the GDF, could be safely located and built deep underground beyond the coastline there. It's the fourth such partnership in the UK. Three established last year in West Cumbria, Cumbria in northwest England. So they're looking. They're looking for a place to dump it and keep it. Conversations with local people will now extend over the coming years. Taking over from engagement started last year by a working group to consider the possibility of hosting a GDF in the Thettlethorpe area. Recruitment to the community partnership, a longer and long, uh, larger and longer-term group, is now set to begin following an identification of a search area Activities will focus on further discussions to help build local understanding of a GDF. Like, don't be so scared. Their uh, nuclear waste services are looking to site a GDF deep underground beyond the coast. A former gas terminal continued to be considered as a possible surface reception facilities. Bring your waste right in here, fellas, with planned underground facilities constructed in the deep rock layers beyond the coastline. This means a land-based surface facility could provide access to underground tunnels and vaults many kilometers away, constructed in rocks up to 3,300 feet deep. Progressing to the formation of community partnerships unlocks access to about a million and a half dollars per year, investment funding for communities. No, they're not bribes, they're investment funding per partnership for local projects, rising to three million per year if deep borehole investigations to assess geology take place. You could use three million dollars just for a borehole, couldn't you? We're really thrilled to see the formation of Thettlethorpe GDF Community Partnership, 
said uh, Major Capital Programs Director Karen Wheeler. Yes, a Karen. This provides a platform to increase community engagement and trigger investment funding for projects that will provide immediate benefits for the communities involved. The bribes happen now. The damage happens later. This is the fourth community partnership to form and represents real progress as we engage with communities about a GDF and what it could mean for them, said the head of that thing. The interim chair of the Thettlethorpe GDF Community Partnership said, Community Partnership is an exciting new phase of work that will take place over a number of years, so no immediate storage of anything where all aspects of the proposal to develop a GDF in the area can be explored and discussed. This is the chance for people to get involved, share their views, and look work alongside others. Construction of a GDF requires both a suitable site and a willing community. Finding the right site to build a GDF could take 10 to 15 years. But if a suitable site is found in Thettlethorpe, a test of public support will be required to give a direct say to those living in the affected areas. Without public support, the project will not go ahead. The uh, government agency says it's going to continue to hold informal discussions in other parts of the UK that may lead to a formation of additional working groups and community partnerships. The GDF comprises a network of highly engineered underground vaults and tunnels built to permanently dispose of high-activity radioactive waste so that no harmful levels of radiation ever reach the surface environment. And this is encouraging. Countries such as Finland, Sweden, France, Canada, and the USA are also pursuing this option. That's the verbiage from the folks involved. Pursuing the option. That, that doesn't store any waste. <laughs> it's just pursuing the option. Clean, cheap, safe. Too optional to meet her, our friend the Adam. Your new boyfriend thinks I'm crazy Just because I've done some time Will you tell him as long as I take my medicine I feel fine For your sake, baby I sure hope I get the proper dose Cause I got your dog And I plan on watching him real close I dropped by your house You know I still got a key Took some strong persuasion, but it came along with me. Well, I just want to talk to you. Is that too much to ask? I got your dog. You better think of something fast. Meet me at midnight at the Cafe des Amis. Back at that corner table where you proved your love to me. Oh, I know things can change I just hate it when they do Now I got your dog But what I really want is you All I ever wanted Was to be in love with you It started out so easy 
got snakes inside my head I can't tell if I'm in my car or lying in my bed I got your dog Santa Monica, California, this is Liz Show. Now, um, news about a, a couple of individuals who think very highly of themselves. First of all, Elon Musk. Employees at Tesla suffered spotty Wi-Fi and struggled to find desks and parking spots. They were returning to work at the office following orders from CEO Elon Musk, according to the Register. Most tech companies are either following a hybrid work model or are still operating fully remotely. Musk, however, wants his automaker's staff back at the office, working for at least at least 40 hours a week. Those who fail to return risk losing their jobs, he warned in an internal email last month. Quote, everyone at Tesla is required to spend a minimum of 40 hours in the office per week. Moreover, the office must be where your actual colleagues are located, not some remote pseudo-office. If you don't show up, we will assume you have resigned, he wrote. But uh, the electric car maker appears to be ill-equipped to face the influx of people returning to its site in Fremont, California, with headquarters before he realized Texas has lower taxes. There were not enough desks for employees at Fremont. Some complained of crappy Wi-Fi signals. The business hired many more people and adjusted its office space during the pandemic, leading to shortages of desks and equipment and supplies when everybody showed up as ordered. 
Tesla reportedly doubled its workforce from 2019 to 2021. Managers reportedly advised staff to not come into the office five days a week as the company struggled to handle the new policy. The automaker, which I've mentioned to you before, has dissolved its PR department. Elon will handle it. He'll tweet about it. Did not immediately respond to the register's request for comment. Previously, uh, Musk had said Tesla would have to pause hiring and cuts 10% of its workforce due to what he described as a, quote, super bad feeling about the economy. Some newly hired staff members were fired just weeks after they were hired. Because that's what a genius does. And he uh, has been having a little pause with Twitter in terms of his use of it, even though he's threatening to buy it. He uh, ended a nine-day silence on Twitter this week, posting a picture of himself meeting the Pope, Francis the Talking Pope, this week. Tweeted a picture where he can be seen standing next to the Pope, honored to meet at Pontifex yesterday, was the caption. Here's my favorite line in the story. The purpose and location of Musk's meeting with the Pope were not immediately clear, unquote. And now news of our other most favorite self-obsessed person, Donald Trump. Yeah, Musk is the uh, is Trump for nerds, and Trump is Trump for everybody else. In um, rather remarkable testimony before the House January 6th committee this week, Cassidy Hutchinson, former chief of staff to Trump's chief of staff, Mark Meadows, testified that at one point when she came into the uh, White House dining room, she found ketchup stains on the wall. The President of the United States in one of what she described as his not infrequent bouts of intemperate temper had thrown his food at the wall. When I was a child Sometimes I'd get wild When friends came over to call If I was too sleepy too angry or weepy I just throw my food at the wall I was a big business baron screaming and swearing when it was hard to get a rival to deal so I'd get him in a room with no napkin or broom and just miss his puss with my meal Mayonnaise and ketchup You don't expect on the wall You're there for a big meeting You don't know who to call Screaming and yelling Great for setting the mood 
But nothing packs a wallop like throwing my food. When I'm in the Oval, my code name is Mogul, doing whatever I like is my job. Except the Secret Service starts acting real nervous about me going down and joining a mob. So I go back home, do some work with the comb, and then get a pretty good punch. I do an old hands call, get my agents near the wall, and then I wallop them with my lunch. Mayonnaise and ketchup, you don't expect on the wall. You're there for a big meeting, you don't know who to call. Screaming and yelling are great for setting the mood, but nothing packs a wallop like winding up and throwing my food. In the old days, I'd call Michael Cohn, and you and your ass would be sued. But I got tired of lawyers, so now I just throw my food. My food. Now? News of the Godly. <sighs> Dateline New Orleans. The FBI has opened a widening investigation into sex abuse in the Roman Catholic Church in the Crescent City, going back decades. It's a rare federal foray into such cases, looking specifically at whether priests took children across state lines to molest them. It's from the Associated Press. You know, when I was... When, I was a kid. No, I'm not going there. No, I, I, I was familiar with something. It was a, almost a joke among us in junior high. It was a federal law called the Man Act because it was about taking women across straight lines. That was the joke part, um, that it was called the Man Act. Haven't heard about it a lot re recently. Well, now... Here it is again. More than a dozen alleged abuse victims have been interviewed this year as part of the probe that's exploring, among other charges, whether predator priests can be prosecuted under the Mann Act. It's a more-than-century-old anti-sex trafficking law that prohibits taking anyone across state lines for illicit sex. Some of the New Orleans cases under review allege abuse by clergy during trips to Mississippi camps or amusement parks in Texas and Florida. While some claims are decades old, interesting thing about the Mann Act, no statute of limitations. It's been a long road, and just the fact that someone this high up believes us means the world to us, said a former altar boy who alleged his assailant took him on trips to Colorado and Florida and abused him beginning in the 1970s when he was in the fifth grade. This report from the Associated Press. The FBI declined to comment as did the Louisiana State Police, which is assisting in the inquiry. And you know who else didn't uh, want to discuss it? The Archdiocese of New Orleans. 
said the Archbishop, Gregory Amond, quote, I'd prefer not to pursue this conversation. Unquote. Probe could deepen the legal peril for the archdiocese. It's reeling from a bankruptcy brought on by a flood of sex abuse lawsuits and allegations. The church leaders turned a blind eye to generations of predator priests. Federal investigators are now considering whether to seek access to thousands of secret church documents produced by lawsuits and shielded by a sweeping confidentiality order in the bankruptcy. That's according to those who are familiar with the thing, but not authorized to speak. Those records are said to document years of abuse claims, interviews with accused clergy, and a pattern of church leaders. See if you've heard this before, transferring problem priests without reporting their crimes to law enforcement. The U.S. Justice Department has struggled to find a federal nexus to prosecute clergy abuse, hitting dead ends in cases as explosive as the uh, ones in the Pennsylvania grand jury report a few years ago, which disclosed a systematic cover-up by church leaders. Federal prosecutors subpoenaed church records in Buffalo, New York the same year in an inquiry that similarly went quiet. The issue has always been what determining what is the federal crime, says the former U.S. attorney in New Orleans. He declined to bring charges in 2018 after the archdiocese published a list of 57 credibly accused clergy. By the way, that roster has been found by the AP to be undercounted by at least 20 names. The uh, former U.S. attorney said he naively believed a federal case might be possible only to encounter a host of roadblocks, including the complexities of putting the church on trial for charges like conspiracy. But in recent years, federal prosecutors have turned to the more narrowly focused Mann Act to win convictions in a variety of cases, including the one against R. Kelly for using his fame to sexually exploit, exploit girls, and Ghislaine Maxwell for helping uh, Jeffrey Epstein sexually abuse teenage girls. So the Mann Act, coming back, a comeback for the Mann Act. In 2013, a federal judge in Indiana sentenced a Baptist pastor to 12 years in prison for taking a 16-year-old girl across state lines for sex. That's almost a year for each year. Among the priests under federal scrutiny in New Orleans is Lawrence Hecker, a 90-year-old removed from the ministry 20 years ago, following accusations he abused, quote, countless children. Unquote. He's accused of abusing children decades ago on out-of-state trips. Other claims against him range from fondling to rape. Hundreds of records currently under the confidentiality order, quote, will reveal in no uncertain terms that the last four archbishops of New Orleans knew that Lawrence Hecker was a serial child predator, said an attorney for Hecker's victims. He's still very much alive, vibrant, lives alone, and is a danger to young boys until he draws his final breath, said the attorney for the, the alleged victims. Asked by telephone this week whether he ever abused children, Hecker said, quote, I'm going to have to hang up, unquote. And by its own conservative statistics, the New Zealand Catholic Church reckons about 7% of its priests are pedophiles, 
It considers the number in religious orders, monks, nuns, and brothers, to be much higher, around 14%. Church's own statistics record 157 allegations made against 59 Marist brothers, between 1950 and 2021, about 12% of the order's members. The uh, Society of Mary, the Marist Fathers, had 118 complaints against its 43 members. Campaigners believed the real figures could be double that or more. The church kept no records before 1995. Many, many victims were silenced or never complained. Internationally, it's believed only 25 to 30 percent of sexual abuse victims ever come forward. This is from Stuff, a news site in New Zealand. Even the church itself considers the figures too low. Says uh, one member of the Marist Fathers, I believe that all incidents of sexual abuse and violence are underreported. The church has had a problem with child sexual abuse since the very early days of Christianity, reports stuff. Documents back to the Synod of Elvire in 305 AD discuss the issue. But according to Father Tom Doyle, a worldwide expert in Catholic sexual abuses, the modern church has always opted for secrecy. It's been buried in secrecy, he says, because they realize if this becomes known, the credibility of the, institution, of the institution is going to sink like a bowling ball in the lake. Unquote. From New Orleans to New Zealand, ladies and gentlemen, news of godly. Copyrighted feature of this broadcast. And now, the apologies of the week. We're so sorry. Deadline Bangkok, Thailand, says that neighboring Myanmar has apologized after one of its fighter jets crossed into Thai airspace on a bombing run along the border, forcing Thai authorities to evacuate hundreds of school children and scramble jets to the area. Prime Minister didn't want to, said he didn't want to uh, escalate the incident, which took place over Phap Phra, district in Thailand's Tak province. Video obtained by the Associated Press shows what appears to be a MiG-29 making several circles into Thai airspace before firing on the Myanmar side. Myanmar's military has been fighting ethnic Karen guerrillas. I said Karen guerrillas. Karens have guerrillas now on the side of the border with Thailand. The military attaches have spoken to each other and they have apologized and our foreign ministries have talked, said the Thai Prime Minister. Air Canada's operations have been disrupted by the industry's complex and unavoidable challenges, said the CEO Michael Rousseau in a uh, letter to frequent flyers offering his sincere apologies to disrupted travelers. If you've encountered delays and cancellations recently, I apologize. That's from Delta Airlines CEO Ed Bastian in a message on Instagram June 30th. It's a thing. On the last day of Pride Month, a Lexington, Kentucky church apologized to the LGBTQ plus community. Leaders at St. Paul Catholic Church said they want to make amends for the church's discrimination and lack of compassion. 
I felt betrayed by an institution, a divine institution, and I was heartbroken, said the director of the Catholic LGBTQ plus ministry. Multiple religious leaders made remarks at the session about their mistreatment within Catholic congregations and the long road they took just to be accepted. The uh, St. Paul Catholic Church held this service, one that Reverend Richard Watson called unprecedented within the region. This is Lexington, Kentucky. To apologize to the LGBTQ, LGBTQ plus community and to atone for the church's transgressions. There are those that call me a heretic. I've gotten hate mail from all over the country, Reverend Watson said. That's okay, he concluded. Love wins. Yeah, maybe it's overtime. One of the co-creators of the hit 90s show Friends is apologizing for the lack of diversity on the show. Says she's putting her money where her mouth is to make a difference in improving racial justice issues. Marta Kaufman, who co-created the show with David Crane, told the Los Angeles Times there's a lust in an interview that she used to get irritated by the criticism the show received for the lack of diversity, felt it was being unfairly singled out. Now, Kaufman says the critiques about racial representation in the show were fair and a byproduct of her own internalized systemic racism. She noted the murder of George Floyd and the racial justice protests that followed opened her eyes to the greater problem. She's now uh, donating $4 million to establish an endowed professorship in the African American Studies Department at her alma mater, Brandeis University position will support a scholar concentrating the study of the peoples and cultures of Africa and the African diaspora. The uh, Portland, Oregon nonprofit that faced questions over hosting an event related to the LIV golf tournament has apologized. That's uh, part of the new golf tour, lucrative in the extreme, set up by uh, Saudi Arabia to compete with the PGA. Officials with the tournament had held a party at the Red, operated by an environmental nonprofit called EcoTrust, according to uh, KGW-TV in Portland. The golf tournament, which is uh, being held at Pumpkin Ridge, don't you know, has generated controversy because of the backers' violation-packed human rights record. In email, Doe Hatfield, an EcoTrust spokesperson, wrote, quote, we sincerely apologize for contracting our space to this organization. We will evaluate and change our policies for vetting and booking events. We're a mission-driven organization, and we take our values very seriously, unquote. The Dutch Central Bank chief apologized Friday of this week in Amsterdam for the institution's involvement in the 19th century slave trade. This is the latest expression of contrition in the Netherlands, linked to the country's historic role in the trade in uh, enslaved people. The apology came in an event at the National Day marching, marking the Dutch abolishment of, I believe you mean abolition, AP, of slavery, and followed similar moves in recent years from municipal authorities in the major Dutch cities of Amsterdam, Rotterdam, and Utrecht. Utrecht, I'll drive. The Netherlands Bank has acknowledged that it was involved in the transatlantic slave trade between 1814 and 1863, and it even paid compensation to plantation owners when the 
country abolished slavery, including to members of the central bank's board at the time. Don't laugh. Same thing happened in the United States. It's called reparations. The bank's president told a gathering in Amsterdam today on behalf of the Netherlands Bank, I apologize for these reprehensible facts. I apologize to all those who, because of the personal choices of many, including my predecessors, were reduced to the color of their skin. Unquote. The bank announced a series of measures, including boosting diversity and inclusiveness in its ranks and setting up a 5 million euro fund for projects aimed at reducing contemporary negative effects of 19th century slavery. And finally, a different airline apology, Lufthansa, has issued a letter to customers apologizing for having to cancel thousands of flights, but got a little, um, got a little honest. The letter acknowledges that the situation is unlikely to improve in the coming months. Too many employees and resources are still unavailable, not only at our infrastructure partners, but in some of our own areas too, the company wrote. The Apologies of the Week, ladies and gentlemen, a copyrighted feature of this broadcast. Ladies and gentlemen, that concludes this week's edition of the show. Back next week, same time on these radio stations. And at the time of your choice on your audio device of choice. I think that's fair. And it would be just like all of us getting to throw food at the wall. If you would agree to join me then, would you already? Thank you very much. Uh-huh. Tip the show, Pat, the show chapeau to Pam Halstead to the San Diego desk and to Thomas Walsh at WWNO in New Orleans for help with today's broadcast. This show has an email address. Yes. Ask your dad. It's available on uh, harryshare.com along with the playlist of the music heard here, your chance to get Cars I Talk t-shirts. Ask your dad. And um, all sorts of great stuff to well, great stuff. All sorts of stuff to read and to watch. Oh, it's a cornucopia. And that's at harryshearer.com. And I'm on Twitter. 
at The Harry Show. The show comes to you from Century of Progress Productions and originates through the facilities of WWNO New Orleans, flagship station of the Change is Easy radio network. So long from the home of the home.